0: <laughs> just, uh, just all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and those of you who don't stop by, you never get to see that. It's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty fun, not just, not just a Sunday morning gig here around this place. Um, so today is, uh, today is the first Sunday in October. Today is known in, in many circles as World Communion Sunday. And so there are, uh, there are many churches around the world that are taking communion today, and we will be as well. Um, so we'll be doing that near the end of our service. And then at the very end of our service, we're also going to be doing foot washing. Now, if, if you're not prepared for communion or foot washing, understand, the Bible's very clear. It says, look, if you're, not, if, if you're not ready to do this, don't. And so don't feel any compulsion, but there will be lots of explanations about how we're going to do all that stuff. But that's kind of what we're building up to today, to this proclamation in communion that says, we are the body of Christ together. And then in foot washing that says, because we are the body of Christ, we will humble ourselves and serve each other, even in ways that might seem a little bit different, a little bit strange, okay? So that's where we're headed today, but we're going to start out in the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 3. Yeah, Waterway 2.5. The grumpy desk-sitting guy forgot that one too. Hey kids, um, everybody between second grade and fifth grade, would you join me here in the front? (laughs) Yeah, I, that, was easy peasy. that was easy peasy. Everybody in the front, in the front row. I know, Haley, I know, I know. Except Destiny, she was hiding in the back somewhere. How'd that happen? Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. Before you go, you know what we always do, right? What do we always do before you go to either Children's Church or whatever we do? Yeah, we pray. Can, can we pray together? Lord, I thank you for these boys and girls. As they go to Waterway 25 today, help them to learn some things that will help them to know that they are part of the church too. Help them to know that you love them just the way you love everybody else. And I pray that you'll bless their teacher, Dara, as she is um, just showing them what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thanks, guys. Go ahead, you can, you can walk right out. And thank you, Heidi, for the reminder back there. Yeah, sometimes, like I said, I, I get excited about this preaching thing and kind of forget, forget what I'm doing. But we're gonna to start today in Revelation chapter three. Okay, we've been studying uh, through the month of September. We've been studying the book of Revelation. We're going to kind of continue with that. And so here, um, if you were here last week, you will remember that we talked about four letters that were written to churches. So Revelation is a a book that was spoken to John by Jesus Christ. and, And Revelation is a prophecy. It's a picture of things that are yet to come. But here in the first couple of chapters... Jesus speaks to John some letters that need to be delivered to seven churches that would have been local churches back in that day. These were actual towns that had churches in them, and so Jesus had messages for them. And next week as we get into Revelation chapter 4, things are going to start to get very interesting. But we're kind of a continuation of last week. Last week we saw the first four letters to the churches. Today we're going to see the last three. Revelation chapter 3, it says, "...to the angel of the church in Sardis write..." These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These are the words of Revelation chapter 3. These are the words delivered through John from Jesus to the seven churches. And this follows a lot of the pattern that we saw last week. If you'll remember, and if you were here last time, you saw that there are four elements to each of these little addresses. There's the greeting. Jesus says, to the angel of this church, and he says who, Jesus says who he is. So for example, in Revelation 3, verse 1, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus says, this is me. And then typically, in these seven addresses to the churches, there's, there's a greeting and then there's a commendation. I commend you these are some things that you're doing well. There's a commendation and there's a warning. However, you're not doing everything well. And then Jesus ends with a blessing. And it's just a couple of verses. It's not a very long address to each church, but there's a greeting, a commendation, a warning and a blessing. You're going to see that pattern largely continues except for this first one here in Revelation chapter 3. To Sardis the commendation and the warning are backward. Jesus says, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The book of Revelation is full of all kinds of symbolism. Seven is a mark of completion. And so the indication here is that this is Jesus who has the completeness of this Holy Spirit upon him. And the seven stars, well, these are the angels of these seven churches. In other words, Jesus is full of the spirit of God. Jesus is giving out the spirit of God and Jesus is watching over these churches. But now instead of going into the commendation, he starts out with a warning. He says, I know your deeds. And in all the other little letters, he says, I know your deeds. You're doing a great job. Keep at it. But he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This is one of the sentences that drove me into pastoral ministry. This idea, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This is one of the thoughts and one of the warnings that made me say, I feel like I ought to be a pastor. I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor, but this, was, this appealed to the human side of me because I grew up, as many of you have, I grew up among a lot of people who had a reputation of being alive, but who were dead. That's not just a commentary on my family, or my church, or my community, or my school, or anything like that. It's just... The area that we're in. And I would suggest that we're in that area right now as well. How many people do you know who have a reputation of being alive? Their reputation is they've got it together. They are living well. But inside, truly they're dead, hopeless, anxious, no base, no mooring in Christ. I know that there's, there's a lot of call to go out into the world to take the gospel, and indeed we must. But some of us have to stay home too because everybody who looks like they're alive is not. And Jesus is still working to get all of our attention. We see this here. Jesus, Jesus says to them, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What does he say? I'm done with you? No. He says, wake up. The book of Revelation is going to show us one of these themes here. Jesus keeps on pursuing. Even when people don't have their lives altogether. together. Even when the reputation is life, but the reality is death. Jesus keeps pursuing until the end of the age. When there is the final judgment. And we'll read about that in a couple weeks. Until the end of the age, Jesus keeps on pursuing. That's what he does here. To the church in Sardis, I know your deeds. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. In other words, there is still time. You can still avoid ultimate death. Verse 3, remember what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Turn away. That's what repenting means, remember? Repenting is turning away from all that garbage, all that death, all that sin, and turning toward God. Jesus says, repent. As long as you are alive, you can repent. So do it. Wake up. It's not too late. But if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what time I will come. Jesus says, repent. Repent. Now, some of you sitting here might be wondering, well, boy, am, am I like anybody in Sardis? Do I have a reputation of being alive, but I'm actually dead? I would suggest that if you're asking yourself that question, you're at a better place than you might think. People who are dead don't care if they're dead. Sometimes we start to think, well, how unfair would this be if Jesus is saying some of these people are dead? Is anybody being written off? No, he says to everybody, he says, look, wake up, repent, turn. If you're sitting here today and you're wondering if maybe God has passed you over, I would say no. If you can hear this, and if you can ask yourself the question, am I alive, you're in a good place. Because if you can ask the question, then you have an opportunity to change the answer to the question. And maybe you've been dead for a long time, but you don't have to stay dead. Jesus says, wake up. Repent. Turn to me. Things can change. It says in verse 4, there are a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. In other words, these people haven't rolled around in the filth of their lives. He says, they will walk with me dressed in white for they're worthy. The one who's victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I'll never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. There's the blessing. He says, look, if you will be victorious in me, you will have life everlasting. To the church in Philadelphia, I don't know if I'm the only one here. This is the only city name that I really recognize. I mean, Ephesus, we know that that's related to the Ephesians, but Philadelphia, oh, I know Philadelphia. I've been to Philadelphia. Now, oh, different Philadelphia, right? We know, we know. This, this Philadelphia that is being written about here is over in Asia Minor. It's off the Mediterranean Sea, thousands of miles away. But yet, isn't it funny how we have these little connections? Oh, Philadelphia, I know that one. Well, here's what's said. These are the words of him who is holy and true. That's Jesus. Who holds the key of David. I don't know if you remember, but in Revelation 1.18, it said that Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is the one who's in charge of, like, figuring out how that all works. Well, here he says he holds the key of David. David is the symbol for the Messiah. Jesus says, I hold in my hands the keys to life and death. And Jesus says here, as he's addressing the people in Philadelphia, he says, what Jesus opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. There is no gatekeeper stronger than Jesus. Here is Jesus saying, I have the keys of death and life. Trust me. And here's what he says to them, to the people in Philadelphia. He goes back to that standard style of of greeting, commendation, warning, and blessing. He says, I know your deeds. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. In other words, the invitation is here. Nobody can keep you out of heaven. I've simply opened the door, and now you have an opportunity. He says, I know you have little strength. Kind of a backhanded compliment, right? I know you're a weakling but you've kept my word, you've not denied my name. Jesus says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul said that a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. In other words, Paul says, you Philadelphians, I know there are people walking around and they think that they are the people of God. They are the ones with all the answers. I know. I know that these people are saying all kinds of things against you. But Jesus says, I also know that they are liars. And there will be a day where they will come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Jesus says in verse 10, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Lots of arguments about what that means, but a couple things that we can understand is that there is a time where there will be a trial and the whole world is going to be tested. Jesus says, Those of you in Philadelphia who make your way through the times that you're facing now will not have to face that time then. We'll talk about this more as October unfolds. A little bit of foreshadowing. And then Jesus warns me, says, look, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that nobody takes your crown. And then there's a blessing. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. This is not house arrest, Okay. This isn't like go to your room, you have to stay in God's house all the time. This is no, you get to be there for all time. Jesus says, I will write on these people the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how big this new city of Jerusalem is that's going to be coming down to the new earth once. The future of eternity is sealed. This new Jerusalem, it's a square city, and one side of it is about as long as from here to Dallas, Texas. That's how big this city is. In fact, at the end of the book of Revelation, it says there is not actually any temple in that city because God is in all of it. And so what Jesus is saying here is saying, in this new city, in this eternity forever, I will make sure that you have a place there. In fact, I will write on you the name of God and the name of the city of God. Some of you do that on your own, right? Any of you going to wear a football jersey this afternoon? Some of you, it'll say Philadelphia on it. Some of you, it might say Kansas City. Could, there's all kinds, of other, all kinds of other cities that might be, might be written that we won't mention any of the other ones. But some of you are going to wear shirts that have a city written on them and they have a name written on the back that's probably not even your name. Jesus says, I can do better than that. I'm going to write upon you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and I will also write on them my new name. Jesus says, you will be mine. And again, that's not a punishment, that's a blessing. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And now there's this third address to the city, the church in Laodicea, all right? We've heard about Sardis and we've heard about Philadelphia. Now there's Laodicea, and guess what the format is? We would expect that it would be a greeting, a commendation, a warning, and a blessing. But for the church in Laodicea, there is no commendation. Jesus simply says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus says, I am the ruler of God's creation. I am the end. I know all things. And he launches right into a warning. He doesn't have anything good to say to these people in Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. He says, you are lukewarm. And because of that, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. People like iced coffee, don't they? I mean, how many of you bought an iced coffee this morning? I'm not, we're not judging anybody, but I know, I know some of you did. And some of you paid a lot for iced coffee because you love it. It's a thing, right? How many of you had a hot coffee this morning? Raise your hand if you had a hot coffee. Yeah, and a few of you, yeah, I'm sorry, Lish. It looks like the hot coffee outnumbers the cold coffee, but we are getting into October, so things are. But you know what? You go to your favorite coffee place, you'll, you'll see their wall of hot coffees, and you'll see their wall of iced coffees. You know what you won't see? You won't see their wall of room temperature coffees. Nobody wants that one. I mean, you might drink it if you have to. You left it out in the toolbox overnight, and so this is all I've got, right? But nobody is going in and ordering, saying, you know, I want something that's right about 70 degrees. I don't want it hot. I don't want it cold. I just kind of want it like the temperature of my spit. Yeah, ooh is exactly right. This is what Jesus is saying here. I wish you were hot or cold. I mean, I could enjoy, I could do something with that. I could work with that. He says, you're just lukewarm. These people in Laodicea, you're just kind of bland. It's, it's as if you didn't even try. It's like you don't even care. Just, here it is. He says, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. Ooh, Careful. Careful, American church in Chester County. This might get close to home, but let's keep reading. They're talking about the Laodiceans, right? Jesus says, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's not so different from what was said in Sardis, was it? You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Here is Jesus confronting these people about who they are. He's being honest, he's saying, look, you're you're not hot, you're not on fire for me, and so you're not serving me. You're not even cold for me. It's it's not as even, not even as if things are bad enough that I might get your attention. He says, you're just kind of in that middle zone. How many people did you grow up with that were that way? How many of us are that way? And what are, what are we like when we walk out of here? Are we excited for God? I don't think most of us are turned off for God, but how many of us are just like, yeah, God's all right. I, I just wonder, are any of us lukewarm? Jesus gave a warning to this church, no commendation. He simply says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. What does Jesus say to this lukewarm church? Look at verse 19. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. You see the call. He he says, look, you're lukewarm. You're not hot or cold. I want to spit you out of my mouth. But what's he telling these people? However, there is still time. You're a mess right now. You're the coffee nobody wants. But he says, if you will turn and be earnest and repent. There is life for you. It says in verse 20 of Revelation 3, here I am. I'm standing at the door and knocking. Now remember, Jesus is the one who can open and close all doors, right? We heard about that with Philadelphia. But here Jesus says, I'm coming to the door, and it's, it's the door, if, if we want to use like some kind of like maybe cute language, it's the door of our hearts. <laughs> I, I don't know. Jesus is knocking on the door of us and saying, I want in. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, and I will eat with that person, and they will eat with me. He says, to the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. In other words, you will help me to rule. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, if you can hear me, if you can hear me, you can respond to me, he says. I think it's really interesting what Anthony read this morning in Mark chapter 8. Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says to them, who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah. Amen. Powerful, powerful testimony. Powerful statement of who Jesus was. Peter Peter was right on. He said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus went on and said, well, the Messiah is going to have to suffer. There's going to be pain. And, And he explained with some specifics about what this is going to look like. And now Peter, the one who just said, you're the Messiah, Peter pulls him aside the Messiah, pulls him aside and says, Jesus, how dare that? (laughs) Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I've called a lot of my friends a lot of names. I've never called any of them Satan. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's interesting to me, though, that wasn't the end of the story for Peter. Just like all these little churches in Revelation, Jesus says, "I've got some problems with you. You've got some things that are out of whack. You've got some ideas that are off. you've got some behaviors that are wrong." But Jesus restored Peter. He rebuked him. And he talked to Peter and said, "Look, Peter, you're wrong here." But he didn't disqualify him. Jesus still loved him, corrected him, now he used him. But not until he was honest and said, "Get behind me, Satan." There's a little of the same thing happening in Revelation. Remember, this book, Revelation, it's different than a lot of other books of the Bible, but it's still in the Bible. It doesn't stand alone. Just like so many other passages of Scripture, Revelation has this view of humanity delivered by Jesus that says, hey, some of you are doing some really good things. Some of you love me. Some of you love me with all your heart. Press on. But some of you don't. Some of you are, are, are just pretending you've got a reputation, but there's no foundation Some of you, you think you're rich and you're doing well, but your spiritual life is a shambles. Jesus says, well, while you're still alive, turn to me and repent. This message comes over and over and over through scripture. This God who pursues us and loves us enough so that even when we're knuckleheads, he invites us back and says, turn away from all that stuff. That doesn't have to be your life. That doesn't have to be your future. There are some things that need to change in all of us, but note the invitations. Peter wasn't disqualified. Even here with Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea, there are some things that if they keep going, they'll be disqualified, but still there is time to turn back. Jesus tells these people they can, with him, they can overcome. They can be victorious. That's good news for us because there are pieces of all of us that are not aligned with the Lord. All of us have things that are not exactly right. I mean, just take a moment and think, if Jesus were writing a letter to you, like he did to these churches, what would he say to you? What, what would he say? He might say, Steve, I, I like what you're doing here. I, I love the way you serve, and I love your energy, but there's this thing. He might, Kevin, I... This is wonderful, the, way, the heart that you have for your church and for your family and the way that you live with integrity, but there's this thing. Kelsey, you know, you, you've got so many good things, but boy, I mean, Jesus would have something to say to all of us, wouldn't he? Jesse, I love some of the stuff that you're doing, but there are some things that, boy, you just really you need to repent of those things and put them behind you. We're all in pieces, Right? But you know, none of us is disqualified yet because we're still here. There is still time on this side of the grave to turn from all of that stuff and repent. That's the invitation, guys. No matter how messed up you are, no matter how many problems you think you might have, there is still time to straighten this all out. Yes, we need to work at things. We don't want these pieces to continue to float around. Let's put the pieces together so that something amazing can be seen. But we're not hopeless. Revelation tells the story of God coming back over and over and over, trying to get the attention of the world. We're going to see this as we keep studying. God keeps, and, and some people respond and some don't. That's on them. But there is opportunity after opportunity to change and be changed. Because God doesn't wish that any should perish. I think it's pretty easy for us to see in our own lives some of the mistakes that we've made but I was struck this week, I was, talking to, uh, I was talking to a very wise man and we were talking about the world today. You know these conversations, right? What, what's going on out there? What do you see? And he doesn't live in this community, he lives in a different county. I said, what do you see in your county? I told him what I saw here in mine. And I asked him, I said, how are you working to make a difference in your county? And he had some really good ideas. And I said, well, what do you think I could do? And he had some ideas for me. We had a good time talking. And here's one of the things that he said to me that has stuck with me. And you're going to hear about this again probably in the next couple months and over the next year. Here's what he said. He said, I'm afraid that too many Christian people have fallen into an attitude of all or nothing with their relationships. I said, tell me a little more. I thought I knew where he was going, but I said, tell me a little more. And here's what he said. He said, we're supposed to be fully committed to God, right? We we are supposed to be, with all that we are, the desire is to be fully committed to God. But we do make mistakes, and God has to forgive them. What this person was suggesting was that many of us, in our relationships with each other, we can recognize... The mistakes and the gaps and the weaknesses in each other. And his concern in his county this week was that instead of working with each other to address those shortfalls, instead of working with each other to say, brother, sister, I love you, but boy, there's this thing that you're just driving me crazy. Or there's this thing that you just really need to do better. Instead of doing that what he sees is people just writing each other off. Well, if, if you're not all right, I'm out. That was his, that was his observation. And, and his observation, he said, it, it probably goes bigger than just that. He said, think about, think about the news that you hear. Is there room for anyone to disagree on anything at all? Think about the political system we're living under at the moment. Is there room for any compromise? Compromise has become a dirty word, hasn't it? Is there room for any compromise, or, or do you have to be all with me or else you're all against me? This was his observation. I thought, hmm, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit more. And then as I'm studying Revelation 3, I'm realizing just how much patience Jesus has with us. Jesus, our Lord, who is to be our example. He says, look, there are some of you who are still knuckleheads, but I haven't kicked you out yet. There is still time for you to turn back to me. It's interesting that I would have that conversation this week when we're getting ready to have communion. When we take communion, we do something that Jesus told us to do. He told his disciples, he says, take some bread, take a cup. He had wine, we used juice. He said, take these things and eat this bread Remember my body, which I'm going to give on the cross. Remember my blood, which I'm going to spill for you so that you can be saved from your sins. Jesus told his disciples to do that. And he said, do this often, remembering my death. So we still do that. Most Christian churches do, in some way or another, right? Communion is not a foreign thing for many Christians, But are we living out what we're proclaiming? Because when we eat the bread, we're saying, I believe that I am part of this body of Christ because I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, which was spilled for me. And so we're saying, I belong to the body of Jesus Christ. And when we do that together, we're saying, I belong to the same body of Jesus Christ that you belong to and that you belong to and that we're all part of together. It's not just a me and Jesus thing. It's an us and Jesus kind of thing. We are flawed people. Some of us deeply flawed. But yet when we come together in Jesus Christ, turning away from all of our sin, turning away from the things that have us so broken, when we come together, we can truly take communion and say, we are in this together. Because Jesus was in this with us. He came down to this earth and lived it for a while. You want to talk about a sacrifice. He was in heaven living with just the glory of God all around him. But for 33 years, he came down and lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. I mean, just the filth of it all. When you're used to being at the right hand of God, can you imagine? But today, we're going to proclaim and say, no, I am part of the body of Christ. Because of what Jesus has done in us, we are the body of Christ. How are you doing relating to the rest of the body of Christ. I'm concerned that too many of us are too quick to write each other off. Now, now this, is a, this is a balancing act, right? Because we don't just, we don't just laugh at sin. We don't pretend that sin doesn't matter. It matters. But there are a lot of opinions that annoy us about each other which are not sinful opinions. There are a lot of things that we might do or say to each other that are, that are frankly just kind of obnoxious, but they're not sins, there may be some deeply held thoughts about the, the right way to live in this world, maybe the right way to vote or the right news channel to watch or the right thing to read. But those are not issues of sin. Those are just our different preferences. And maybe I don't like your preferences, but I'm still supposed to love you. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with really loving The person beside you. Look around for a minute. One of the blessings of a room like this is you can look across, especially you guys on the edge. You can look look in. Just look at all the people here. I know. There are some of you who don't know anybody. That's cool. Welcome to Waterway. Glad you're here. There are some of you who know a lot of people here. And you're sitting beside someone because you love them. But I'd be willing to bet there's at least one of you who's intentionally sitting somewhere far away from someone else because they're driving you crazy right now. I think we need to be careful about this. If you're not all with me, you're all against me. We need to be careful about that because we're all broken people. We need to recognize that when we come together under the banner of Jesus' blood and body given for us, when we come together we, we have to put our little preferences aside and focus on the things of Jesus. That's hard to do, but that's our call. And Jesus says, look, to those who overcome, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. To those who are victorious, I will make them a pillar in the temple of my God. The one who is victorious will be dressed in white and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. See, there are, there are good reasons to press on. Good reason to press on because Jesus is not done yet. So we can't give up on each other yet either. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward as we prepare to share communion. But first I want to pray, okay? I just, just want to pray. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Can we pray together? Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to have patience with us. Lord, you know how we are made. You know that we are just, we're just dust. But you love us and you've called us and you invite us to eat with you, to spend eternity with you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you've been so gracious, even in our times of greatest weakness. I pray that you will help us to be gracious with each other in the same way. Lord, in just a moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to remember what you did for us. We're going to remember that you gave your body even to the point of death. We're going to remember that you shed your blood for us. Lord, help us not to take that lightly. but to remember that your blood covers over a multitude of sins. Lord, help us to remember that that we can overlook a lot of little things with each other because of that same blood and because of the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, thank you for loving us. Help us now, please, to do a good job loving you and loving each other. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to take communion. I'd like to invite Pastor Steve and the elders to come forward. We have bread and we have juice. There are two kinds of bread. There is is regular bread and there is gluten-free bread. So the way that it's going to happen is um, two of us are going to stand here, kind of right in front of the piano, and you two rows. If you're going to take communion, I know not everybody is. If you're not taking communion today, that's fine. Just stay where you are. Maybe pray for those who are coming forward. But for you two, Rose, you'll come to this center aisle and walk down here. We will hand you a piece of bread. You'll have to tell us if you want regular or gluten free. But we'll hand you a piece of bread and you'll take a cup and then you'll go back out either the center aisle or the side aisle. You'll go back to your seat and you'll wait. Okay? Same thing for this side. Uh, Anthony and I will be over here. Anthony will give you a piece of bread. You'll come down this, this aisle here. You're telling whether you want regular or gluten free, if that's your preference. And then you'll get your cup and you'll go either down the center aisle, down the side, back to your seat. And you'll wait there until you get further instructions. Does that make sense? Okay. So what we're doing as we're going through this is we're remembering. We're remembering the body of Christ. Not only the one hung on the cross, but the one that we represent here. We are with Jesus and we are with each other. I invite you to consider that in these moments until we eat. We are We're holding this bread which symbolizes the body of Christ. We're holding this cup which symbolizes the blood of Christ. Okay? So, Robert and Steve, you guys can take your spot. Anthony. We invite you to come forward and take your bread and your cup. right back Kate yeah go ahead right back there In your hands, you hold a piece of bread, and you hold a cup of grape juice. The bread symbolizes the body of Christ, which is broken on a cross and given for us. Praise God, it also symbolizes the body that we get to be a part of, the body of Christ together. The blood symbolizes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as he spilled his blood on the cross. We're told that his blood gives life to many, even those whose lives have been marked by sin. When we repent, we are covered in his blood. As the old hymn says, we are washed and we are made whiter than snow. With these things in mind, I invite you to take this bread. Repeat these words after me. The bread which we break break. is the the communion of the body of Christ. Eat it. Jesus took the cup and said, do this in remembrance of me. So remembering him, we take the cup and I invite you to say these words after me. The cup which we drink is the communion of the blood of Christ. Drink it. God, thank you for loving us enough to show us your love and not just tell us about it. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. You, you paid a price that none of us could pay. You offered us a salvation that none of us could earn. And Jesus, we thank you. Help us now to be loving and gracious towards each other as we are fully committed to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So at this time, the the elders are going to begin to prepare some water and towels for foot washing. You have cups in your hand, right? If you've got cups, maybe you and your neighbors can put them together. And you'll notice down in that little seat in front of you, in the little rack, there's a little loop that you might be able to put those cups. Oh, Kate, yeah, not for you. No, you you front row guys, you don't get one of those. But there's almost a little loop in there down on the wire rack that you can kind of put your cups in. Uh, If you need somewhere to free up your hands, you can do that right now. We'll come back after the service is over and, and clean those up. Um, we're going to do foot washing in just a moment. But I'm going to remind you of a couple things before we do that, because we're going to kind of end our service with foot washing. We're going to go out in service, okay? So here are a couple things. I wrote them down just so I'd remember them. Remember that we are the body of Christ, and Christ keeps pursuing. So we must respond to his pursuit, but we also must, I think, continue to pursue each other. Even when you drive me crazy even when your politics just make me nuts, even when just the very way that you are grates against this thing deep in me, when we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we must, we must continue to show grace and love. Number two. We're going to wash feet here in just a moment. Foot washing is another one of those things that Jesus did on that, on that night of the last supper with his disciples. It says that all the disciples were there, they were getting ready to have supper, and typically there would have been a servant there that would have washed everybody's feet. Remember, these guys walked around in sandals, dirt roads, walked everywhere. It was kind of a mess. So every house, if you were to have a dinner, and, and some of the Jewish cleanliness laws would have said that you need to wash your feet before, before you all gather around. Well, there was no servant there that night except for Jesus. We're told in the scripture that Jesus took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Once again, Peter spoke up and said, oh, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. And now Jesus says, no, I'm doing this for you. This is an example to show you that nobody's above anybody else in this whole thing. That's a lesson that's good for us to keep in mind. There's nobody here who outranks anybody else in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I'm showing this as an example to you so that you can do this, so that you can serve each other, so that you can humble yourselves, if need be, to serve each other. So Jesus did that. And Peter, the one who who rebuked Jesus for talking about all this sacrifice stuff, Peter, the one that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter had some good ideas again. And he said, oh, Jesus, you're you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, I'm going to. And Peter said, oh, well, then fine, just wash all of me. Not just my feet, but my head and my hands. Jesus says, no, 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 just, just your feet. This is all I need to do. Now, there are, there are a few churches who still practice foot washing, a, a literal foot washing, and there are many who don't. And so I recognize, and, and we know, we've talked about this as elders for years, is there still value in this? Is this too weird for 2021? Right? These are the kind of conversations that we've had. And what we've decided is no, twice a year, on this first Sunday in October, and also at our evening service leading up to Easter, twice a year, we do wash each other's feet. And here's what that looks like, because I know some of you haven't been through that before. We'll have our ladies gather here in the front, in these front rows, and and men, we're going to go out in the hallway, out kind of where the little coffee area is. We're going to take off our shoes and our socks. And there are basins that have warm water in them. Not a lot of soap or suds or anything like that. But we're going to rinse off and wash each other's feet. Men will wash men's feet. Ladies, you'll wash the feet of each other. And then what I'm going to encourage you to do is whoever's feet you wash, don't just wash their feet and give them a hug and be done with it. Ask them this week, how can I pray for you? Ask them this week, how can I serve you? Maybe there's a connection that needs to be made there. Okay? And so, so we're going to do that. And I'm going to give you some very specific instructions in just a moment. But I recognize that not everyone is comfortable with that. Not everyone is able to do that. We do have three foot washing stations at each place. And we also have a little hand washing station for those whose feet are just not able to be washed. But I also know that for some of you, you're like, eh, this is just kind of out there for me. You know, I just came to church with my friend. And I don't know. I know. I know. I'm going to encourage you, if, if you're not ready to be all in with this right now. Just sit tight where you are. And again, I'm going to invite you as the service wraps up and as we do this foot washing, just to pray for whatever you see. Just pray for the people here, or or maybe you need to kind of bow your head and and pray some other way, but once, um, once foot washing is kind of wrapping up, and I'm going to let you kind of decide when that's wrapping up, then you're dismissed. Each of us can go in our own way. When you dismiss... If the men are still washing feet out there, I would encourage you to have your conversations outside. It's a nice day today. Have your conversations outside instead of in the lobby, so that you don't disturb those who are still wrapping up. But that's what we're going to do right now as we wash feet. And here are a bit of the mechanics. Okay, it's always difficult. Some people would come forward and like pair up. You know, you know, there's no boys over here. You know, uh, Brandon, can I can I wash your feet? All right, I'll wash your feet and you wash mine, and that's cool. That that can work. But you know, there's a whole lot of If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Already working in our world. So here's what we're going to try to do. We have a couple ladies, um, Melanie's one of them, and I think uh, Carrie's one of them. We have a couple ladies who are going to be in the front of the line, and they're going to kind of give you instructions. And they're going to wash your feet, and then they're going to go to the back of the line so that you're going to wash someone's feet, and then the person behind you will wash yours. Okay? I know, it's a little technical kind of thing, but you'll figure it out. You're smart folks. You can follow American football, you can wash feet, okay? And men, we're going to do the same thing. Men, I would invite you, even if, even if you're all ready first, wait for Anthony and Robert and Steve and myself to kind of just initiate that and we'll kind of get a pattern going, okay? I know, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff to think about. But here's the thing. We're committed to serving each other. Sometimes service is uncomfortable. Sometimes service is awkward. Sometimes service is humbling. This is what we're going to remember because it's what Jesus showed us. So if you're participating in foot washing, ladies, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Men, go out through the lobby here. We'll meet on the side. Um, If you're not participating in foot washing, please just hang where you are. Pray for whatever's happening. And as things kind of wrap up, you can quietly let yourself out. Does that make sense? I think we need one more prayer. One more prayer. We pray together. Jesus, help us to serve each other with all of our hearts. And help us to remember to keep doing that even after today is over. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One more way that the the church is serving you. On your way out, there's a table out there by the coat racks with lots of waterway water bottles on it. We had a bunch of them left over. We bought them a year and a half ago for our open house service. We got 500 because we expected a huge open house. Last week we had an open house service with about 60 people. <laughs> there are a lot of leftover water bottles. So if you could use a water bottle in your house, please take one and, uh, and, and let that be a, a little reminder of being here today. Um, but we're going to have a little bit of quiet music. And then uh, ladies, you're invited to come forward. Um, as I said, Melanie and Carrie will give you some instructions. Men, please join me in the lobby.